EST is sponsored by Pastor Talk by Lifeway. Join host Marty Dern as he interviews pastors, professors, authors, and other ministry practitioners. Pastor Talk gives you tools and encouragement to shepherd your flock well. Subscribe to Pastor Talk in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, or listen online at lifewaypastors.com. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. All right, and welcome to episode 38. We're going to be talking about cultural anthropology, but before we get to that, my name is Josh King. I'm in the Dallas, Texas area, and I am joined, as always, with Micah in Tennessee, Sam in the beautiful state of Florida. How are you guys today? I'm good, but I'm Doing I'm pretty awesome. sure you just scared all of our listeners off telling them we're going to talk about cultural anthropology. Cultural <laughs> That's anthropology. such an exciting like, topic. What is that? I think it sounds I don't cool. even know what... The, I don't, I don't even know what that means, and I'm about to talk about it. So, <laughs> well, let's go. to be completely honest, and I don't think any of our listeners will disagree or be shocked by this. I don't know what half of the stuff means before we actually get into the conversation. <laughs> that's just kind of how I am. The other funny thing that's kind of going on. Don't share our secret sauce. I mean, all of this research that we do before <laughs> each podcast, all of the pre-production. Are we supposed to be of, doing that? All of all of the meetings that we have to get to the point of where we are right now. Right, right. The other funny kind of thing that's going on behind the scenes is I've been trying to do a countdown before we start recording, and I apparently can't <laughs> count down from eight. I got I love, real confused. I love how on this last countdown, you went eight, and then you were thinking, wait a minute, is it seven or is it nine? Which number well, do you made I say? Me go, you, you made me go eight, one thousand, seven, two thousand. <laughs> I was totally... <laughs> So next time we're going to go eight Mississippi. I'm going to get a nap. That's just so the, Josh, the was, uh, Josh was Josh was a math major in college. That's what we've learned yeah. today. Very There's no math at Criswell College. <laughs> All right, cultural anthropology. Essentially, what we want to discuss, and this was brought up through Twitter. Uh, somebody kind of threw this idea out there: is how do you find out the needs or the culture of your community, and then to what extent, I guess, we could ask should the mission of the church be reflected by that one way to ask that is should the who should set the culture of the church or the identity of the church Uh, should it be the pastor should it be the people that are already there or should it be the community in which they are sitting i think how you answer that question really really puts an input on um, a number of different issues there so cultural anthropology is what we're calling it micah could you give us a i don't know give us some sort of definition of what we're working with there that's kind of I don't know, brain-like sounding. Well, I mean, just here, simply put, we're just saying, how do we understand our community, which I think a lot of pastors don't do very well, and then how do we understand how to communicate the gospel in a way that's effective in the context that we find ourselves in? So Mm. it's really simple. It's just learning the community and then thinking through how you communicate the gospel, how you transmit the gospel in a way that makes sense to your community. Okay, well, what, what about this? Should you stay... You know, some people would say this will help you preach against certain things or not. So if you preach against excess in Dallas, does that mean you learned the culture that's extremely excessive and um, you're trying to speak out against that sin or should you avoid that and and preach against, you know, other sins? I know the technical answer for it, but you know what I mean? It, It would be like holding a Green Bay Packers party watching game in Dallas. It's just not going to work. Glory, please, I'll come. 
you'll do that, I'll come. If you want to yeah. hold a, a national... one person. If you want to come hold a watch party for the national champion Florida Gator baseball team, I'd be glad to come watch that There's too, the shout-out. There's the shout-out. <laughs> um, you know, here's what I would say. The, fr- the answer to your question is twofold. I believe that the, the response of the faithful biblical preacher, the task of the faithful b- biblical preacher, is to understand the unique temptations that their their community deals with and bring the gospel to bear on those situations. So you mentioned excess in Dallas. I don't know Dallas that well, but if excess is a problem in Dallas, then you ought to be preaching about it. Here's the problem, though. We tend to then preach about it by just railing and banging the pulpit. You know, this is awful. This is sin. Stop it. When the truth of the matter is that rarely convinces people to stop it. I mean, you can you can develop pretty sig- significant guilt trips by doing that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But I think, again, I've, to- I've talked about this before. I love Tim Keller, and I think Tim Keller deals with this really well. And I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something along the lines of this. But the, the way to help people move away from sin is not to tell them to stop sinning, but to recognize the desires that are leading them towards sin and show them how Christ fulfills our desires in a way that's better than the sin that we're chasing after. So, um, like excess, people are chasing after excess generally for identity or purpose or trying to, you know, satisfaction and helping them find out that in Christ, in the gospel, he provides identity, purpose, satisfaction in a superior way to, you know, the things people are chasing about in sin. I mean, most, almost every pursuit of sin at some level has at its base a desire that God has given us, right? Sexual immorality is generally based in a desire for sexuality to be expressed in a way that God intended, but we get disrupted and destroyed when we take a God-given desire and we pursue satisfaction of that desire in a manner that is inconsistent with God's expectation standard, the way God made the world. So I would say understand what it is that your particular community struggles with, preach about and against that, but do it in a manner that leads them away from it and toward Jesus. Don't just shout and yell. Sam, how do you figure this out? How do you figure out what the culture is uh, dealing with? Yeah, well, one you got to be you, you got to be in the culture. Um, so you got to get out of the church bubble. Um, I've always liked joining a civic organization like Rotary or you know whatever it is in your community. Um, and and I, you know I, in in Bradenton I'm on a I'm on a ball team, uh, so I play softball, which is really hilarious because I'm terrible, but gets gets me out of the the church bubble and. So I'm, I'm constantly looking for ways to interact with my community uh, in the field that is my community, um, not you know just not just trying to get people to church, which is something I'm I'm trying to do, but also go where they are. So whatever that is, whatever piques your interest, I mean, it could be just about anything. It could be a fishing club, it could be a civic organization, it could be sports. I mean, you know, it, 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 but you got to get outside of the community. So. That's step one, is just just be in your community, live in your community, love your community, and be a part of it. Step two is you really need to, need to be interacting with the leadership, not just uh, the common person in your community, as important as that is. You also need to be interacting with, with whoever it is that's a, an influencer or a decision maker in your community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not everyone can have access to, say, the mayor or, you know, um, you know, some key person that you know it's impossible to get a meeting with but certainly there's city councilmen or women or people that you can or school superintendents that you can interact with to figure out okay what are the needs of the community so you need to go ask the leaders 
what what are the major issues? What are the major needs in the community? And they need to ask your church what are the major issues? What are the major uh, problems in the community? And those two things should match. Your people should say what the other leaders are saying. If not, then you've got some work to do mm-hmm. to bridge that gap between what the community says are the problems and what your church says are the problems. And then what we talked a little bit about the preaching topics, but what sort of things would you guys say should reflect sort of the culture they're in? I've always argued that music should sound like the music that people listen to. It, the content should be different, but the the sound shouldn't be abrasive to their ears. And so if you kind of came into Saxy and you wanted to do like rap-styled worship, I'm not sure that's going to relate real well to our group. In the same way, nobody, no one is driving around sexy listening to choir music. No one. And so, you know, you've got that kind of pushback. Sometimes people say, well, we should affect culture. Culture should not be dictating styles or, or things within our community. What would you say to that? How, how would you kind of think yeah, through that's that? A, man, that, that's a hard one for us because we're such a diverse community. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we, you talk about if you're just going to use music as an example – and that's all over the map. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's why we have four different services and four different styles. I mean, I, I, in two different languages. And I know that people are okay with different things, but the top radio stations in uh, Bradenton aren't going to be very diverse. They're going to be kind of um, the same top ones that are in well, a be lot in of Spanish. I, you know, some of the some of the top top radio stations, most listeners would probably be in Spanish. There you go. Um, so sure. yeah, maybe maybe we need to. Maybe I need to do, pick up on my Spanish do a little bit more. of Spanish there. What do you say, Micah? What things, the way you dress, should that be influenced? Sure. Well, I say, I've told our people this from the beginning. We want our church, and from the architecture down to the way we do our, um, plan our worship services to reflect a Chattanooga church. That matters to us. We want to, we want to communicate in a way that resonates in Chattanooga. But here, here's what I would say, too. Uh, and I've told every every church I've pastored as a senior pastor, I've told the staff, we, I expect all of us to be cultural anthropologists. That means what Sam said, we're in the community. Um, we're deeply embedded in the community. I believe Jeremiah 29.11 speaks to this um, in, in that God calls us to be in the community and advocates for the peace of the community. Shalom, of course, is the word in Jeremiah 29.7. It means more than just the absence of conflict. It means the well-rounded sort of holistic blessing of God. So we're to be a people advocating for the blessing of God in the community we call home. And part of that, I think the text indicates, is that we are advocates for our city, that we love our city, that we know our city, that we want others to enjoy the city that we call home. But you've got to do that by knowing the city. You've got to enjoy you know, for us, that means we spend a lot of time outdoors. That means I camp out and I get rain in my tent sometimes, but that's okay because that's the DNA of Chattanooga. That's who we are. Now, the good news is we're here because that's who our family is, and we like that, mm-hmm. and it's a good match. I think you need to know the history of your city. How did your city come into being? Why do certain ethnic groups live in certain geographic regions in your city? What are the forces that cause that to happen? What's the economic up and down over the last hundred years in your city? All of those things are things that good pastors ought to know to be able to communicate well in their city so that they, um, you know, so that they can help lead their people to love Jesus and understand how the gospel applies in their context. You've been listening to EST, a conversation about the established church with our hosts, Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We'll be back shortly after a brief message from our sponsors. Hey, this is Josh. I wanted to take a few moments just to talk to you about one of our EST sponsors, Trained Up. As a pastor, you know that you need to train your volunteers. You also know that that is one of the hardest things possible to do. 
trying to get their schedules in order, trying to get everybody to show up, planning and organizing the whole thing could take a lot of your pastoring time away from you. With this resource, Trained Up has not only cut the amount of training meetings in half, it's also significantly increased participation by up to 40%. And that's a win for everybody. Not to mention that Trained Up already has courses built in with just about every ministry area you can think of. So even if you don't know what to cover, they've got you covered. And now for a limited time only, Trained Up is offering a 50% discount on their multi-ministry package for two years. Go to trainedup.org to get started today. Thank you to our sponsors who help further the mission of EST. If you'd like to partner with us and have us spotlight your ministry, go to estchurch.com for more information. Now, let's get back to the show. So I was going to emphasize the same thing with the knowing the history of the city. There's a lot of things that affected that city and that, that sort of culture and what goes on in that city that are different for you know, different cities. And I think that's also important when you're talking about pastoring a church because it shouldn't be that your city or your church looks just the same. Like like a Dallas church should not look like a Chattanooga church. We're completely different cultures and different ways. And so you got to kind of break that apart. And I know we all agree to that fundamentally or, you know, in the back of our minds, but not too long ago, everybody wanted to have sort of a Seattle, cool, hip, grungy type of church everywhere. And so they were trying to plant those in, in small, rural Texas towns that just wasn't working. So I think it affects a lot of things. And in some ways, this is kind of a newish idea, really, from the late 70s and early 80s. I mean, if you look at evangelical churches across the board uh, up through the early 70s, monolithic was probably a good indicator of of, of what you would get. I mean, you get the same style of architecture. You, uh, you get the same basic worship service sung out of the same basic hymnal. And, and really this idea of what we're talking about is contextualization is what we're ultimately talking about. We're talking about contextualization. And um, when it comes to contextualization, you know, people argue whether contextualization is good or bad. That's a ridiculous argument. Everybody contextualizes. There's nobody in the world who doesn't contextualize the gospel. None of us you know, worship in buildings that look like the buildings Jesus was, was in. None of us dress the way Jesus dressed. We're all contextualizing at some level. And if we sing new songs or we sing old songs, we're still contextualizing, right? Amazing Grace is a contextualized song. It was a bar song turned into a hymn, and now it's one of the cherished old hymns of the faith. So we're talking about doing contextualization well. And in, in that sense, that's kind of uh, it had lost its way for a while, and we're seeing that obviously sort of the church growth movement was a champion of, rena- of, of good contextualization in the 1980s and sometimes not so good contextualization. But ultimately that's what we're looking to. And so I, back to my point, though, Josh, is I don't know that we have had a long period of being trained how to do this well because it really has only been prominent in the church's um, consciousness, at least in recent years, in the last 30 or 40 years. Sam, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too much in the weeds of of economic and you know church growth theory and and all and you know cultural anthropology. These are all big words and um, makes my head hurt a little bit uh, thinking about it. But um, you know, you're right. Back in really from the 1930s, 40s, and 50s up until the 80s and 90s, um, the United States was largely a homogenous um, group. I mean, you're talking. You know, when my grandparents came of age, um, the U.S. was 87% white. 
Um, that's not to say that you know there there wasn't diversity here. There, there, there was, um, and lots of different things happening. But where we're going now, you know, preschools are pretty much minority white now, and so we've seen this incredible shift just from just from an ethnic perspective in in the United States from being a largely white nation that my grandparents knew um, to a very diverse nation and not just diverse in you know your major cities like Miami, New York and LA um you know this di- level of diversity is is go- going into even rural areas not not every not every rural a- area but it it is certainly we're becoming more of a diverse nation um you know to the point now where you know the the chance of my daughters and or my son marrying someone outside of their race is by the time they are looking to get married I don't like thinking about that that's a ways away but you know it's about one in three it used to be one in a thousand in the 1960s so you know things are changing quite a bit and and we are moving from a homogenous monolithic to use your word Micah culture into one that is more heterogeneous and um, diverse, and I think that's a wonderful thing. I think it's a picture of the gospel. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I, th- I think it's great. It's just hard. I tell my church that all the time because we're moving in that direction. We're not there yet. You know, most of our older people are white, but most of our younger people it, are diverse. And so I tell I tell our church all the time, it's harder. It's harder to be a heterogeneous congregation or diverse congregation, um, but it's healthier. Yeah, it's harder, but it's healthier. Um, and I, and I think t- we our churches have got to start reflecting not just ethnic diversity but generational diversity, socioeconomic diversity. Um, those churches that thrive in the future are going to be the ones that properly reflect their communities, and and in doing so, are are a little more diverse than perhaps was what was typical fifty to a hundred years ago. See, I think you bring up a good point where a lot of our listeners may be as they're listening to this, they're thinking, "Yeah, I get it. You guys are talking about what I'm feeling, and I'm looking around, and my community does not fit my church. My church does not fit my community. We're a little bit different. Used to we were this way. Now we're not. What do I do?" How do I get, where, where do I start the change? Should I start with music? I think that's where a lot of people think and believe. Should I start with, um, I don't know, the way the pastor dresses? What, what should we do? I've got a follow-up question to that, but what would you start with? Yeah, I think music. I think music's the wrong place to start. I, I really do. I yeah. think, I think you, you, you should start with your leadership. So your church will naturally reflect who is in leadership. So... Um, you know, we try very hard. We, we've got committees and staff and, you know, we're pretty typical established church in, in our structure. So we just try to make sure that whoever uh, our nominated committee does a very good job of trying to get people on in positions of leadership who reflect the diversity of, of our church and the diversity of our, of our of our community. That's the best place to start. Also think, you know, who goes on mission together is also another good place to be. So, you know trying to do mission together with a diverse group of people is is uh, is also helpful. I think you just get stuck in, in, with worship style. So if mm-hmm. you if you try to accomplish this goal through a particular style of worship, um I, I think you're just going to get stuck more often than not. I I wouldn't start there. I would start in in other places. Where would you start, uh Michael? Yeah, I would start in ministry. <clears throat> and I mean, I, I agree with Sam. I, I in terms of not using music or any of those sort of things, I, I, I do think leadership is a big one. Make sure that your leadership reflects your community. But I would, I would start in ministry. Don't just model your ministries after what some other church has done somewhere. And we're, we're 
gosh, we're suckers for that. Those of us mm-hmm. who are pastors, we, you know, we see somebody else, they do something well, we start drooling and think, oh, we could make that happen at our place, and then we just go copy it. What are the things that matter in your community, and how can you effectively serve the needs in your community with a contextualized approach to ministry? And start there. Yeah. Yeah, one of the ways that we really do this cultural anthropology thing is we meet our neighbors. And so we're very intentional about this. We try to to buck the trends. One of the things that a lot of people complain about when they move to the Dallas suburbs are these rear entry um, garages. I don't I really don't know if that's common everywhere else, but here it's extremely common. And so what you have are these little alleys that go behind our our big nice neighborhoods. The front yards look immaculate, beautiful, and people drive in. Um, they close the garage behind them. They never even see each other because you're going into the back of your home. You shut the garage. You've got an eight-foot beautiful cedar privacy fence that keeps everything private inside of that. So we really try to buck that trend. And we always sit out in our front yard, not our backyard. We we kind of go where um, we've got some neighborhood pools. And we're going not just to be ourselves and isolate our family off. We go and sit by. We constantly tell our kids. Go over there and say hi to those kids over there. Go over there and meet those kids and see where they are and stuff like that. Once we started doing that, once you meet your neighbors, you all of a sudden hear all of these needs. They tell you problems. I have neighbors call me that don't go to church, are not churched people. I've got them that Facebook me and say, can I talk to you? And we end up going just outside, sitting down, and and they've got issues. They've got things, challenges that they're dealing with. I think that's a real great way to do cultural anthropology. Um, Yeah, yeah. You've, you've definitely hit on something that's so important. Get your church thinking in terms of their front yards, not their backyards. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can just get your people thinking about the neighbors and reaching out to the neighbors, you're, you're going you're gonna to accomplish so much more than, hey, we've got the new kind of thing in worship music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just get your people thinking in terms of how to reach your neighbors. We're going to have an emphasis, without getting into de- the details, we're going to have an emphasis at West Bradenton this summer where we just get out into the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. We just start reaching out and just, you know, the, 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 the main thrust of it is go learn who your neighbors are. Um, just get to know them. Yeah. Uh, and if you can start doing things like that and if you can build that culture in your church, a lot of these other problems that surface up like worship style or dress or whether the pastor wears a tie or not, a lot of those end up, solving themselves right. those problems solve themselves right. if your people are simply concerned about their neighbors and right it's neighbors. you know it's like dinner time just have dinner with your neighbors and your small group and all of this that's not that's not new to me a lot of churches are doing that and a lot of churches are really kind of owning that but the great thing about that is is florida church members and florida non-church neighbors chattanooga members chattanooga non-church people dallas everybody eats dinner and so you can eat dinner together and have a great time of, of kind of meeting people. And so I really encourage people to have at least once a month where you're having neighbors over with your small group. Just kind of mix it all up. And uh, it tends to work in the whole building relationship thing as far as just eating and kind of getting to know one another. I've got one final thought on this because uh, we're coming up against the time here. But used to when it was homogenous and you guys are talking about that, you could go. The difference was you knew – you guys can do this. You can walk into an old church building now, and you go, oh, this used to be a church of Christ, or this used to be a Baptist church, or this this is clearly an Assemblies of God church in the 80s because the buildings were so distinct based on the denominations. And if you moved to another town, you could walk into the Baptist church, which looked pretty similar to the Baptist church in your town, 
and get a similar kind of thing. Is the denominational names sort of misleading us on that? Or what do the denominational names mean now in the idea of cultural um, anthropology? Are we losing it on that, or is that a hindrance? In most communities, completely meaningless. Mm. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, there was... Uh, maybe 20 years ago, there, there was obviously the negative stigma of um, of certain denominational names, Baptist being among them, or just certain perceptions of certain denominations. Oh, Presbyterians are like this, or oh, Methodists are like this. That is still there with the older generation. Um, but I think with the younger generation, particularly millennials and obviously Gen Z, who, who's a very young generation right now, but definitely on the rise— I think most of them have no concept, at least in my community, they have absolutely no concept of the differences in denominations. They they do know that they exist, but they wouldn't know. Like, we have people, you know, that will go to the Episcopal Church and then come to the Baptist Church and then go to the Catholic Church as they're visiting for churches, if they're, if you know, if they're looking. And, uh, you know, obviously they just have no concept of, of what the theological implications of each of those denominations are historically. And also, a lot of the denominations are, you know, moving away from their historical roots. Mm. You know, um, so they don't even mean what they be, thought, what they were supposed to mean. Yeah, and always when when people are looking around at, for churches and they're new to our community, and maybe God, you know, the Holy Spirit's working in their life, and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to start looking for a church. Um, y- y- what I tell them is, you know, don't even go by the denominational names anymore. Just ask that church what's going on there. Mm. Um, it's very difficult to know just by the name on the sign now what's happening inside. You have to know about that specific church. So, you know, the the era of denominational lines is certainly, they're still there to some degree, but people actually caring, I, I think that that's waning substantially. So in the last two minutes, what are what are things to avoid when you're doing cultural anthropology? What are some things to avoid making mistakes? Micah, what do you got on that? Well, I think we are tribal, uh, maybe as much as we've ever been in the culture. And I don't mean we, just Christians. I mean we as a culture. I mean, we're tribal. You see this in the way our politics are working out. You're seeing this in the way our faith works out and plays out. And so the danger in doing cultural anthropology in a town is to only exegete the culture um, of the people in your church, for instance, or only exegete the culture of the neighborhood you live in. You need to understand the totality of who your city is. Ask yourself the question, what are neighborhoods that we don't have anyone from that neighborhood in our church? And I don't mean just a neighborhood or a four or five block area. I mean, what areas of the community do we not draw anyone to our church from? How do I learn more about that community? How do I get to know people in that community? So I would say the great danger is to only have a limited view of the city that you call home, and therefore it affects the way you do ministry. Sam, final thoughts on that? Micah just says things so beautifully. I think we just... just <laughs> That's why he's tweetable. Just leave it. That's why he's yeah. tweetable. Um, <laughs> love your community. If, if, I'm, if we're going to talk cultural anthropology, learn your community. Of course, Micah's given us some great advice on you know just learning the community. But, man, you got to love your community, too. Mm-hmm. And, and, and whatever you got to do to get your heart aligned with whatever the whatever's happening in the community I mean I, I, you just just dig in and do that because if you don't if you don't love where you you're called to minister then you know that creates all sorts of problems as far as trying to reach people so 
Yeah, I would just dig in and do whatever you got to do to find the redeeming parts of your culture that you're in and just learn to learn to love it. Couldn't agree more. One thing that I would add is this. Don't be afraid to exegete the community and reach the people that you can reach. You're, you're a culture. You have a culture. You have a way about you. And so reach the people that you can reach. Reach the people that God called you to reach and plant more churches. You're not supposed to reach all of the cultures and all of the different things all by yourself. And so plant more churches in your city, in your building, plant more churches. And uh, that'll help you exegete the culture there as well. That's all the time we have for today. Do want to give a shout out to Lee Snow. His uh, Twitter handle is at Lee M Snow. He's in Columbus, Georgia. He's following us on Twitter. Make sure that you do the same. And uh, we'll catch you next week. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is provided by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The mission at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. The school is located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and offers more than 40 different degree programs ranging from Associate of Divinity to Doctor of Philosophy. With more than 3,400 students enrolled, Southeastern trains future and current ministry leaders to lead effectively, study the word diligently, and preach the gospel unashamedly. Learn more about Southeastern by visiting www.sebts.edu. And come check out our campus to see how you can join the Southeastern family and learn how to go to reach your community, your nation, and your world. Wherever you're going, Southeastern will help you get there.